This is the EWN Podcast Network. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Kelly Filardo, who has uh, managed to take a, a thing that was, well, a, a life event that was not within her control and turn it into a beautiful thing. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on your show today. Well, I'm honored that you're on my show. I mean, I, you know, I, you, um, you have a story that really was quite shocking when I first heard it. Just, you know, because we put ourselves in. So why don't we start with that? You want to just tell us your, your journey? You bet. So uh, I got burnt when I was only two years old to 75% of my body. We were living on a farm at the time and my cousins were throwing singles in the fire and a spark came out and landed on my dress and I exploded. And so they rushed me to the hospital and I spent four months in the hospital. And every two days I would have to go into the operating room for surgeries. And then every two years until I was 20, I'd have to go back to the hospital for more surgeries because they needed my, my body to grow so that I would have some more skin for them to work with. So my whole life has been consumed with, uh, you know, having reconstructive surgeries so that, you know, I would have better function and mobility and also because I wanted to be beautiful. And so I was hoping that my doctor could take my scars away so that I could be beautiful. Wow. Do you remember, I mean, two's pretty young to remember the event, but do you at all have any recollection of that moment when you literally burst into flames? No, I don't. I don't have any memory of the surgery or, I mean, of getting burnt. I do have two really short memories of the operating room. And I, you know how in the, in the show, The Twilight Zone, Yep. You know, they have that, and they're, you know, down in the operating room, down in the basement, you know, and it's all dark and the lights are flickering kind of thing. And, you know, there's that eerie sound and, and the smells. I, I remember that. And I remember one time when the uh, anesthetist, or no, it was the nurse that said to me, oh, you were just in here not too long ago. She says, what can we do for you? And they knew that I was scared. Right, it's only two. I think I was two or three at that time. And they said to me, do you need anything? And I said, I need water. And so what the nurse did is she went into the bathroom that was there and took a face cloth, filled it up with water, and then she squished the face cloth and then the water would drip into my mouth. Wow. And so I remember that. And I remember the anesthetist saying to me, okay, count backwards. And um, then they put the gas mask on your mouth and, and then away you'd go to sleep. So I remember the smells, like, so that gas mask smell, like if I ever smell it, it triggers me to go back to those memories. But other than that, I don't remember my life until I was about five years old and up. You know, I have lots of memories of kindergarten and I remember my surgeries from then on, but I don't remember anything other than that. Yeah. The reason I asked you that is because when I, so Kelly, you have a book that's titled uh, Still Beautiful. The reason I asked you that is because I'm often asked about my memories when I was young in, in the foster care system and where kind of the trauma was born, but it, it's all about having an awareness of when you decided that you needed to do something to recognize that you were still beautiful. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't know really how uh, our self-esteem issues or our trauma um, experiences, when do we become aware of them? Do you know what I mean? Like we're, we're already at some point now where, like you say, if you smell gas, it takes you back to those memories. But does it take you back to just that feeling of being, feeling helpless? Yeah, well, and you know, the good thing was that I was half deaf. So I didn't hear a lot of the teasing and the bullying that people were doing to me. But I do remember in grade five, walking past my teacher's desk and I saw a picture that someone had drawn of me and it was a circle with eyes and nose and mouth on it and scribbles all over it. And it said Scarface. 
And so that was my, I would think that would be my anchoring point that I knew that the kids were calling me the Scarface girl, even though I couldn't hear them. That, that made me understand that, okay, yeah, they, they are calling me that. And so that was in grade five. You know, my whole life was like, I wanted to be beautiful and I wanted to be the little princess. And I knew I would never, ever be the princess because every two years they would take, you know, take me in the hospital to do surgery and my scars were still there. And, you know, we're taught at a very young age. In fact, I believe we're taught at, you know, like three, four, five years old when we watch the movie Snow White that the mirror talks. We see the evil queen talking to the mirror. And so we learn at that young of an age that the mirror talks. And so when I would talk to the mirror and say, I am beautiful, of course, the mirror would say, well, no, you're not. You're covered in scars. Beautiful women don't have scars on their face or on their body. And because I was having surgeries every two years and the scars weren't disappearing, I thought, well, I guess I'm never going to be beautiful. And so I, I remember being in like grade five or six and thinking, you know, if someone's fat, they can just go on a diet and lose their weight and they lose that title. They're no longer called fat or fatty two by four or whatever it is. If someone has glasses, they just need to get contacts and they lose their four eyes title. But me being a, being a Scarface girl, I knew my scars were never going to go away, which meant I was never going to lose the title of being the Scarface girl. Wow. And, you know, when we're young, we, we take those um, insults and, you know, kids are really cruel. And I don't know that, do you think that these kids were being cruel, uh, you know, in particular the picture because they're drawing what they see, you know what I mean? Did you feel that they were being hurtful towards you or was it just like, well, that's the girl that has the scars on her face? I'm not saying either way it's right or wrong, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like kids, I remember my son, uh, one of his, um, one of my friends was quite, uh, you know, overweight and was still a beautiful person, but overweight. And and, um, she was trying to plug something in one day and Alex had said to her, oh, don't even bother trying to get back there. You're too fat. And he was too. And she was really upset. And it was like, but he's not doing it to say, to be cruel. He, it's what he sees. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of times we wonder, is teasing being bullying? Like, are we bullying people when we tease people? Or, or do we mean it seriously or, or what? And you're right. Sometimes, sometimes we say things not knowing the effect it's going to have on somebody. For example, one lady says to me, and I was in my 40s at this time, and we went to a garage sale, and this lady says to me, they couldn't do better than that? <gasps> I know, right? Now, I was very hurt by that comment. What she meant was, well, couldn't they just do some sort of surgery on you and make you beautiful? Now, she wasn't trying to be rude or mean. She didn't know that saying that was going to hurt me, right? Yeah. But... Sometimes what happens, like it's all in the tone of voice. Like what she may have said was, you know, I'm curious. They couldn't do better than that. You know, but to me, Kelly, that is, that's just, that's not even being mean. That's just being downright ignorant. You know, if, if you and I were, okay. So I remember the first time we met, we met in Canmore. We were at the Women Talk Conference. I remember we sat, I sat down with you or you sat down with me and we had breakfast. I didn't yep. even notice this about you. And you were one of the guest speakers and I was like, when you got up, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, that was a girl I had breakfast with this morning. Do you remember that? Like I didn't. I, didn't <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. To you. But the thing is, is if I, so, you know, we're, we're, we're fairly good friends now. I would never say to you, couldn't they've done better? What the heck? Like that to me <laughs> is just ignorant. I don't know. I find that really more offensive than a little person saying Scarface. Like, do you run that? Do you run into that often now with little kids who are like, oh, you know, it's not the norm face that you would see. You know what I mean? Versus yeah. a grown woman in her 40s saying they couldn't do better than that. That's just downright ignorant. Well, yeah. And she was a senior citizen. And so she's probably of that generation where she's just not thinking that maybe that might have hurt my feelings and that there could have been a better way to say it. And, you know, I still remember getting into the car and this is when I was married. And, you know, my husband said to me, he said, she didn't mean it that way. 
And I looked at him and I said, she meant it how she said it. Yeah, and easy for you to say. Yeah, and I was really, really hurt. I couldn't talk like for a couple of hours. I was so upset about it. And then I got to a place where I was able to say, you know what? Why are you letting a complete stranger take your power away? You are never going to see her ever again. Your kids, your family, your friends have never said to you, Kel or mom, I would love you more if you were scarless. Yeah, of course. Because they see who you are. You know, we get into that conversation. In fact, you said, you know, with my picture that is kind of my promo picture. I, you know, I don't look like that in real life. And uh, if you see me on the street, you wouldn't even know that's the same person that's in that picture, right? But then right. people see, you know, I have, I mean, we all have things we don't like about ourselves physically. Unfortunately, we go to that spot versus, you know, if you ask someone what they don't like about themselves, they're going to say something physical versus something, well, you know, I'm kind of judgmental or I'm kind of moody and I'd like to change that about myself. But we all have that thing about us physically that we don't like. Okay, so I just want to move, go back a bit. So when, so you grew up, how old were you when you were married, got married? Well, I met uh, the man who was my husband uh, when I was 19, turning 20. And so we lived together for about 10 years and then we got married and we were married for 14. And then I... Basically, I decided that I wasn't in love with him anymore and that I was in a toxic marriage with him and we were both lying and cheating and stealing from each other in our marriage. And I decided at that point that uh, it was over and I didn't want to work on it anymore. And he wanted to. And I said, no, it's just it's over. I know I don't love you. And I know that, you know, it's over. And he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, I often think about you if you were and I were separated. He said, you'd be a single mom with three kids and with the scars on your body, who would want you? Well, that was lashing out to hurt. Well, and he was drunk at the time when he said that. And, you know, it's interesting. I talked to a friend of mine who's also a burn survivor and she had a very similar situation happen to her with her boyfriend at the time. And, and so I was like really hurt by this. And she was, Kel, she says, the reason they say that is because they want to scare you into staying. Totally. Yep. Totally. And I didn't get it at the time. I was like, how could he be so hurtful? And, and the thing is, he does not remember saying that at all. Have when I confronted him about it, he's like, I did not say that. Your scars don't bother me. And I said, well, you did say it. And, you know, being that I'm a burn survivor and I know that words hurt and I lived through that my whole life, I'm not going to make shit like that up. Yeah, oh, of course. So you have three children. Tell me about your kids. So, so that was the interesting thing. Like the first 10 years, we didn't want kids. And so then I met another burn survivor who had one, had a, two daughters. And I said to her, well, I didn't think I could have kids. And she's like, well, why not? I said, well, I don't know. I just thought burn survivors don't have kids. And she's like, well, no. She says, I have two kids. And this girl's got three kids. And this girl's got two kids. Like you can have kids. So anyways, we did end up having a daughter and I was so excited about her being a daughter. And the reason being is because I wanted to know what I might look like without scars. Wow. And then, yeah. And so that was so, um, I was so excited, right? Because we didn't know, like, I just believe that you don't need to know what your babies are until they're born. And so I didn't know we were having a girl or a boy. And then I got pregnant a second time and he didn't want another baby. And so I remember being five months pregnant with her and saying to my, my tummy, it's okay if you don't make it because he doesn't want you. And sure enough, two months later, I ended up having to deliver a stillborn baby. And that is probably the worst traumatic thing that I've ever had to deal with in my life, worse than my burns, because I blamed myself. And uh, so anyways, we had to have an autopsy done on her and we found out that her umbilical cord grew shut instead of open. So there was no way of knowing that she was dying. And um, yeah, and so that's you thought that was You thought that was your fault because you had said, if you don't make it, I'm, that's okay, because he doesn't want one. Yeah, I thought I willed her to die. 
Yeah. That was, so I blamed myself because he didn't want another baby. And so, and I, he never, ever did say this, but I, I'm sure he had the thought, okay, good. I'm glad, you know, we're just going to have the one. He never, ever told me that, that, but I just kind of wondered, I wonder if he's thinking, Hey, this is good because now I'm not going to have a second baby because he only wanted one baby. But then uh, a couple of years later, then I got pregnant again. And this time I had the twin boys. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I believe that her passing was a gift that, you know, she's up in heaven with my dad and my grandparents and, mm-hmm. and she's having fun up there in heaven with them. And I get to bring these two beautiful boys into my life. And cause we would have stopped if we would have had her, we wouldn't have had the, the twins. We would have stopped. Mm-hmm. So, so when you met your daughter, your first daughter and you saw her, what went through your mind, Kelly? Not in terms of, you know, I mean, as mothers, we all fall desperately in love with our children, what parents do, most, I think. And so then you have this beautiful little girl who doesn't have those burn marks. Tell me what that did to you, to little Kelly, because it really wasn't about the mom part, was it? You know, it was it was fascinating because, for one thing, we were actually quite concerned about my scars, whether I would stretch enough to have a baby. And I even went to my plastic surgeon when I got pregnant. Okay, what are we going to do here? Because now that I'm pregnant, do we know if my skin's going to stretch or not? And he said, well, let's figure that out. You know, let's, let's let you go to term and see what happens. And if we have to do some surgery, we will. But if not, we don't want to risk the baby. So we don't want to touch you until we absolutely have to. And so there was that whole part of hey, I'm a burn survivor and I was able to do this. And then there was that other part where I thought, oh my gosh, the egg and the sperm together make this. This is real. (laughs) (laughs) You know? And then again, it was, you know, she didn't have scars. And I knew she couldn't be born with scars. But it was just, you know, that whole thing. She's just so gorgeous. She's just so beautiful. And and she's a little girl and I get to see what she's going to grow up and look like. And it's funny because she ended up with her dad's freckles. He's got freckles everywhere. And so she ended up with his freckles. And uh, so it's kind of fun. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. So uh, then, all right, so we'll move forward. You've got three beautiful children and the marriage is over. So now we're having to redefine Kelly what was that part of the journey? Oh my God, that is an excellent question. Because at that point in my life, we were almost bankrupt. Uh, you know, I was cheating, he was cheating. We were, um, I was in a dead end job at the time. Like I had a job because he had got laid off from his job. So he told me it was time for me to step up to the plate uh, because I was a single mom, right? Looking after these twins and our daughter. So when he got laid off, he said, okay, time for you to step up to the plate. And I said, okay, watch me. And I went and got a job downtown. Like in two days I was working while he sat on his butt for nine months, not working at all or getting job interviews or anything. I was, I was pretty upset about that. And so that was um, when I made my decision that, okay, it's over. It's done. So um, when I, I left him, Oh, and he said I could only leave if I gave him the house and the kids. And as a mom, you know, those are the two biggest things you want, you know, house and kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And I moved in with my aunt and uncle in in their basement. And um, I still just saw the kids every day. But I also had a job. And I was also speaking already at that time. I was already, you know, being a motivational speaker. But one day... This is four months later after my divorce or separation. My uh, boss came to me and it was time for my performance review. And it was the worst performance review I ever had in my whole life. And my boss said to me, what's going on that you're making so many mistakes? She said, you know, you've got this, this, uh, this world here with us, you know, with your office and, and you're making all kinds of mistakes and you're not doing a great job. And then you go home and you've got this other world where you're a speaker and you're an author and you're doing amazing things and making a big impact. And she says, I've got to wonder, 
sometimes somebody else has to make a decision for you. And she said, are you going to be excited to come to work on Monday? Or are you going to be relieved if you don't have to? And that question hit me to my core because I knew I wanted to be a speaker full time, but I had just left my marriage four months earlier. And I thought, how the heck am I going to do that? Like I know I have no man, no house, you know, the kids were sharing, you know, I'm, I still see my kids, but now I'm going to have no job and no money to support me either. And I was thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And so I went home that night and I was reading this Christian businesswoman's magazine and every second page said, follow your passion full time. Like all the words were blurred except for that passion. Then the next page would say, follow your passion full time. And the next page, follow your passion full time. And I came to the middle and in the middle, it said big black letters. And it said, why do you not trust that God will provide you everything you need? And I was so mad. I slammed it shut. And I said, okay, I know, I know, I, I get it. I'm supposed to be a speaker full time, but like, give me three months just to like pay off my bill and I'll do it. I promise you. And then I heard those little words come to me again. And it said, are you going to be excited to go to work on Monday or relieved if you don't have to? Uh, yeah, it's pretty powerful uh, to hear those words. And it's like, I know when I was going through my divorce, I remember keeping a journal. And of course, and I, I know you'll agree, just when you're dealing with one trauma, anything that's gone unexamined comes forth and the plate gets full. But one of the things that came out of my pen, down my arm and into a pen was trust my path. I'd never spoken those words before. And I couldn't, re and I couldn't figure out, well, what the heck does that mean? It's like you say, it's like, oh my God, now I have, I now have to redefine myself. I have to find myself. I, you know, I don't have my home. I don't have my kids. I don't have, you know, what I thought my future was. So you go into that grieve, grieving mode. But those words, trust my path, are very powerful. And they're the same words. And those are good questions to, to have. It's like your boss, um, you know, I hope you've thanked her because it is true. It's like, well, what, are, what is it that's not sitting well with you? You know, what do you want? And sometimes people are afraid to leave their, you know, jobs because they're stepping into the unknown, which is very fearful, of course. I, you know, after my experience, and I, I know you'll agree with me, it's like, yeah, step into your unknown because that's when the, that's when the, uh, the magic happens, right? I'm not suggesting to anyone just to quit their job, but if you're faced with that choice, just take that leap of faith. Well, and sometimes we think that something is, is being done to hurt us, but really it's being done for us. And that was a great example of that. And I still, how I relate it is that, you know, it's the mother bird and the baby bird. And the mother bird was pushing me, the baby bird, out of the nest mm -hmm. and saying, go fly. Mm -hmm. And when a baby bird is just learning to fly, yeah, she might dip a little, but if she goes up and she, she never hit the ground, she never hit she keeps, the bottom. And she keeps right? trying. She flies higher than ever before. And so that was the analogy that I used to explain what my boss had done to me. And you're right, I did thank her. I thanked her multiple times. And, you know, even the, the next day when I did go back to work and I said, you are right, today is my last day. And I packed up my office and I left. And she emailed me back and she said, thank you for being so brave. And if there's anything I can do for you, I'd be happy to do it. Wow. Well, you probably did something that maybe she couldn't feel comfortable doing either, right? I mean, oh, she had tears in her eyes. Like she was yeah. not comfortable doing what she had to do, but she knew she had to be the one to push me out of the nest and, and make me go fly. Oh, I meant maybe she wanted to push out of the nest and she couldn't do it either. So she was happy to watch someone else fly is what I meant. But yeah, I mean, that can't be, it's not easy to fire anybody. So all of that trauma. So then you're out on your own. And I mean, I mean, I've heard you speak. You're fabulous. I think you have a very good career in it. Don't you? Oh, thank you. I, I love it. It's my passion. And what I really love is for people to start seeing the gifts in their tragedies yeah. instead of seeing them as tragedies. Like, yeah, it's tragic. I lost the baby. I held my dead baby. Yeah. It was, it's tragedy, yeah. but it's not tragedy when you see that I had these two twin boys that are amazing. Yeah. 
Well, that's part of that journey. And it's, it's about making, it's not, it's, it, it is trying to find the good or not the good. I mean, you hate to say those words because it's like, okay, well, hold on. You lose a baby. I mean, I lost a baby at five months and I know that it's like, oh my gosh, but it, it's making sense of, of what's happened. And, and like you said, it's, I mean, that's why my podcast is the gift of being present. It's like, what is your gift out of your trauma, out of your, out of your journey? So you have a book, Still Beautiful, as we mentioned earlier. Do you have other work that you've written? I do. So my, my first book is called No Rift, No Rewards. And I wrote that 11 years ago when I first started to be a speaker. And then, I, uh, then my next book was called Self-Esteem Doesn't Come in a Bottle. And that was my first best-selling book. Oh, I love that. I know. I love it. It's, it's a great book. I love it. And Kelly, then, would, would you agree, sorry to interrupt you, but would you agree now that, I, I don't know, I don't look at you and, and not see someone who's beautiful. I mean, but then I'm, I'm biased because I know your heart, right? But I know you don't let it define you. But when you say, you know, self-esteem does not come in a bottle, it's so very true, is how many women and men have you come across that maybe classically beautiful or whatever. I mean, that's all in the eye of the beholder too, that are just um, a hot mess. They don't have, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they don't have a physical reason to be a hot mess. You know what I mean? Like you could have said that as your crutch and said, you know, oh my God, I was burned when I was two and my life was over when I was two. And I don't strive to be anything more than that burn victim. But you aren't, that's not even in your wheelhouse. I mean, it's not even in your vision. How many people do you have that you work with that are still struggling and they don't have a physical reason? Well, tons of women, like, you know, most women, in fact, if you ask any woman, most of them will tell you 10 things that are wrong with them before they'll tell you 10 things that are good with them. Yeah. And, and it's true. Like you can walk up to the most beautiful woman in the world and say, oh my God, you are so gorgeous. And she'll say to you, oh no, I'm not. You know, I've got baggy eyes and nobody notices it but her. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I've had women that have said, oh, yeah, I always wear a sweater because I don't want anybody to see my flabby arm. And I was like, what do you mean? Nobody notices your flabby arms. Only you yeah. notice them. We notice your gorgeous hair, your gorgeous smile, your, your beautiful, bright, shining eyes and your spirit. That's what we're noticing. We're not noticing their flabby arm. Like, well, it's, yeah, it's interesting you say that. So I, um, my, when my second granddaughter was due, my son and I, he asked me if I would help him wallpaper her bedroom. So we get it out and we met, and it's beautiful wallpaper. It's peonies and it's my favorite flower. But anyway, so we measured it all out and we, you know, kind of planned and I, uh, we, you know, it, it, it wasn't fun. And I mean, I had, I, it was fun for me because I got to be with my boy for the day. Right. But right. at the end of the, the last roll, the last strip, you know, and we'd gone through the frustrations, the first strip went on fine. The second one had bubbles and it was like, oh my God, we didn't line it up. We get to the end and there's like a foot long um, base. Well, we had mis, uh, measured. So it was like, oh my God, now I can't take all of it off. We want it to be perfect. So what we, what he did is he just matched it up with another piece, a spare piece. It was totally fine. And here's the thing. And if, and we do it when we, if, if any of us have ever painted, which I have, and I hate painting, I mean, painting walls, you know where the flaws are. We know where the flaws are in that little girl's bedroom but nobody else does. So it's like walking into the room and going, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. Look at that beautiful wallpaper. Oh yeah, but you know what? We really screwed up and at the end we didn't measure and it's all patchy over there. Oh, and on the second roll, you know, there was still a little bubble and you can see the seam, right? And so we do it as people too. It's like no one actually sees you and sees your flaws. Exactly, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I don't know why it is that we do that other than the only way I can explain it is because it's easier. It's easier for us to point out our flaws than it is to point out how good we are. Well, Kelly, let's face it. We, you're absolutely right. Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, they were all beautiful. And we have that notion as little girls, like you said earlier, it's like, oh my gosh, we have to be real thin 
and have flawless, you know, perfect shape faces and flawless skin and beautiful hair and blah, blah, blah. And it just perpetuates all the way through, you know, especially when we were younger, I think it's getting better now. I don't know, maybe it's not. But then we're seeing Hollywood as that's our standard. You know, I mean, I read somewhere Jen Aniston spends like $12,000 a month or a week on her care, on her body care, because that's what she does. She is a beautiful Hollywood star. Well, you know, I don't have $12,000 a month, a year, a lifetime to spend that kind of money on myself for one thing. And I'd rather spend it on other things like working on my self-esteem issues from my traumatic childhood, working on let's not define something that was so horrific that happened to us, a burn, a divorce, the loss of a child. I think we, it's just like you say, it's easier to zero in on the negative, right? It's always about failure, it seems. Absolutely. And then we even have like, I don't remember what product line this is, but it's some sort of multi-level company. And their messaging is that our products will make you look flawless, And I'm thinking, oh my God, are you not setting people up for failure or what? Because people think that they're going to use their products and they're going to be flawless. And then if they're not flawless, they're going to think, well, you're not beautiful because I'm not flawless. Well, you know, the actress, Amy Schumer, she has a great movie. I'm so pretty. You seen that? Yes. Netflix. Uh, Yeah. I've seen it. Beautiful. Beautiful. I don't look at Amy Schumer and think she's overweight and ugly. I think she's brilliantly funny. But again, that's a fabulous movie about that. And, and, you know, that's kind of the theme, like even in Legally Blonde, another one with uh, Reese Witherspoon, right? She was kind of the, the little doll that was supposed to be married to the guy who was successful and it didn't turn out. And she had said one point, I'm never going to be good enough for you, am I? She had said to him. And I think that's a fair question to ask of ourselves. When am I, when am I good enough? When am I comfortable with? as we're aging with our wrinkles and our sagging boobs and our, you know, not so perfect bellies and all of that. When are we going to be okay with that? Yeah. You know, you, you, you've asked a very deep question and, you know, I guess it all boils down to us doing the inner work that it takes. And the big thing is to stop comparing ourselves with other women Mm -hmm. and, you know, and other women that have the means to sit in front of a, a makeup artist every morning or have to. I, we don't have that luxury, nor do I want it. I don't have time to sit in front of him. What, where, why? Who's going to see me anyway out my little cabin in the woods, right? I don't care about that kind of stuff. It's not important to me. But even if we had the means to do it, does that mean that that makes you happier? And let's face it, as we all age and we all end up in, you know, hopefully live long enough to be little old ladies, we all kind of look the same after a while, right? I mean, it's like, what are you bringing to the table that's not physical beauty? But see, and that's, that's what my whole messaging is all about. It's all about, it's not about how much makeup you can put on your face to make you feel beautiful. Because a lot of those women, even when they do have all that $12,000 worth of makeup on or skincare or whatever, they still don't feel beautiful, yeah, that's right. And and that's my messaging is all about how can I feel be- still beautiful without having to have Botox or without having to have, you know, uh, tummy tucks and without having to spend all of that money on, you know, trying to feel beautiful. And then people wonder, okay, I've done this. I've spent all this money and look at me. And then they're like, oh, but I still don't feel beautiful. Yeah. And it's because you're not doing the inner work that goes with it. Well, and you, as you well know, when you've done the inner work, you are beautiful. I mean, you're just a beautiful person. You're not angry. You're not lashing out. You're not saying stupid things to people. Like that's all they could do. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Like where the heck? And it's, and then we don't realize where it's coming in from their lens. It's not from our lens. So let's talk about your uh, business. So you have your website, sevenstepsauthor.com. So that's seven, number seven, steps, S-T-E-P-S, author, A-U-T-H-O-R.com. Tell our listeners about what you're doing for other, um, is it exclusively women, Kelly, or do you work with men too? Oh, no, I work with men. And, and in fact, um, well, I work with men and women, but it actually seems like for 2021, 
it seems like I'm getting more male clients than female clients. So I'm finding that quite fascinating that I get to, I get to work with men too, because, uh, and sometimes I, I, I really enjoy working with men because I can say the F bomb and they don't get offended by it. And, you know, I can, I can be harsher with them. You're speaking my language, baby. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what I think is nice for men now is that men are able to say, hey, I have the same feelings you do. And, you know, men typically weren't allowed to do that. Little boys don't cry, blah, blah, blah. You know, we hear it all. And so you're giving someone a platform. So what is it that your uh, clients are writing? Are they writing their life story or tell me about your business? People come to me for a couple of reasons. So one is because they want to write a book, you know, to preserve their legacy and their memoir. And then other people come to me because they want to write a business book that's going to help them get to the bestseller charts and create some credibility for them. But ultimately, they're all writing their stories. And that's what I like to do is I like to help people take that story and monetize it. Whether you want to be a speaker, an author, or a podcaster, or a podcast guest, or whatever, or create an online course, that's what I try to do is help people to see the value in their story so that they can make a book out of it and, and then take it further than that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have a lot of men and women that, um, that I coach to do that. And, and it's been a lot of fun. Like when COVID hit, I lost all my speaking gigs and that was fine. It was like, okay, well, what next? And I laid on a couch for a week because, you know, COVID hit and we should be doing that. Right. <laughs> and I didn't know where, where am I going to go and what's my future going to be? And, is there going to be a future? You know, I was watching these stupid shows on TV, like Colony or something like that. And, you know, it just made the future look so, you know, doom and gloom. And then 2020, um, I just decided, okay, that's it. I'm going to go full-time into coaching people to be authors and best-selling authors. And that's what I did. And 2020 has been my best year ever. Wow. Well, you know, and that's right. I mean, you, you clued in really quickly that 2020, yes, it was very frightening. And, you know, I mean, one of my favorite shows of all time is The Walking Dead. And I'm like, you know, I probably shouldn't watch that right now because we weren't sure that it was actually going to be what we were going to be living our reality. And who the heck knows, right? But 2020 was a year to really sit up and take notice of what we're, what you were doing. And I mean, once we're allowed to go back out and start speaking again, I mean, you'll be you'll be fired up and on again. I have no doubt about it. So you have taken that terrible tragedy as a little girl and turned it into a beautiful thing, right? I know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, it's funny when you still talk, I know I see you get teary every once in a while when you say about, I'm still beautiful. I want to be still beautiful. And do you feel now that you truly are? Because you truly are. I'm not going to tell you that because I know people tell that to you all the time. But do you do you honestly feel that, Kelly, or you still struggle with it? No, I, I do. I do feel still beautiful. I honestly do. I think just right now I'm going through a tough time because, you know, I'm I'm back to being single again. And so I'm going through some, you know, challenging times with being on the online dating sites. And, and so... You know, I think that part, you know, we're always working at it. Like, it's not like being beautiful means you can turn a switch and okay, now I'm beautiful. I went from ugly to beautiful. I'm now beautiful. And this is the way I'm going to be for the rest of my life. It's still work. It's just like, you know, working out and being a fitness model. You know, you, you still, once you even reach your goal of weight and you, you know, and you've got this excellent body, you still have to maintain that. You still have to eat properly and exercise and do that. And that's the same with being beautiful. It's not something where you can flip a switch. Okay, I'm beautiful today. Like there's a lot of things that we have to do. And right now, you know, and, and you know, Helen, I've told you my story, what I'm going through right now, and I don't want to share it on here. Yeah. Uh, that's actually what, it, you know, caused my problem before um, is so anyways, you know, I'm still working through that. Mm-hmm. So there, there's certain words that trigger me. And this is what happened to me last week was I was on another podcast and I was talking about um, leaving my marriage. And when I left my marriage, because I heard the words that my husband had said, 
what man is going to want you with the scars on your body? I had to leave my marriage knowing that I may find the man of my dreams or I may not. I may be single for the rest of my life. Yeah, and and you have to be okay with that because it has really nothing to do with scars on your body. I mean, when we are all facing being single again, it is, it's like, well, who's going to want me? Who's going to want, because we, you know, as much as we try to not um, identify our flaws and stuff like the wallpaper room, we we should be, if we've done any amount of work, be fully aware of what our flaws are, not physically, but inside, spiritually, emotionally, right. all of that, right? So I think that's a very real fear, but that's your go-to place because that's what triggers you. And and you you can't unhear those ugly words, you know? Right. And yeah. so whenever I hear those words, I have to, you know, I have to flip them so that it doesn't hurt me. Right. So... When I hear the words, he doesn't want you, because that's my trigger, that phrase, I have to say, he doesn't want you yet. Right. Or he doesn't want you right now. Right. Or right. You know, that type of thing. Well, and, and you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, and it's true. And I mean, we do, you know, in my work, it's the same thing, like you said earlier. Um, it takes work always. And I think there's that notion, you know, let's, and I will always forever tell you know, when I'm doing my online course, let's wave a magic wand because you're only going to get to do it once because it doesn't really matter. But let's wave that wand. I'm going to give you a magic pill. I'm going to press the restart button. It doesn't work that way. And it is constant maintenance on your self-esteem is working on those things and recognizing what triggers you and recognizing what you keep hearing in your head. It's like people aren't hearing those words screaming in your head. So it's almost like we're, you know, we, we go home at night and we close the door and we stand there. It's like, oh my God, another day where they didn't see the real me, you know, the pot, the place where the, the wallpaper didn't match entirely. You know what I mean? And yeah. so you're absolutely right. And so, yeah. yeah, yeah, And Absolutely. And so, you know, I know I am beautiful and I absolutely believe that. Um, I'm just because of what I'm going through right now, it just, it's certain words are really triggering me right now. And so I know that though. And I know that it's temporary. I know that this isn't the way my, the rest of my life is going to be. I just know that in this moment, these words trigger me. Right. Uh, It's just like when I, when I was going through my divorce, if I even saw my ex-husband's name, whether it be a text message or a phone call And even if it was a nice text message, it would trigger anger in me when we were going through our divorce. And I was like, okay, this, this isn't good. This has to change. So what I did is I changed his name on my phone to poor soul. And so then the next time he texted me, I was like, poor soul's calling. Who's that? Oh, poor soul. Oh, that's right. Oh, I'm so sorry. I wonder what poor soul wants. Yeah. And then it would trigger empathy with me. And then I wouldn't be angry. Now, and I knew that. And so then after about a year, I was able to change his name back to his name and his name doesn't trigger me anymore. Well, you just raised a really good point. So what that does, and that's the work I do with my grief work, is absolutely, I can't, you know, you know who um, the musician I hate the most uh, singer is Adele, because that's when her album or her CD, I guess I don't use albums terms anymore. I'm showing my age. But every song she was singing at that time was right in the midst of my divorce. So I can't even hear the song and I get incredibly sad, right? So when when you're talking about those things is like, um, I have a a client that uses much harsher words for her (laughs) ex-husband. He calls her death, I love it. Poor soul is very kind. Um, And that shows me a window into how kind your heart really is. But The thing is, is when you're going through those grieving things, it is absolutely uh, imperative to say, you know what, today I'm going to let myself really feel like crap and it's wallowing in poo and I'm going to feel sorry for myself and I'm going to beat myself up because that's where you get to go to be vulnerable. But it's also an opportunity to go, okay, hold on. Okay, you can do that for about five minutes and now you're going to stop it and now you're going to carry on and you're going to pick yourself up and you're going to become or blossom or carry on. I mean, and I think what happens is people think it's a one and done. I'm going to feel like it's crap not. one day. It's not. It's not ever. 
it feels endless sometimes. And so, you know, for me, I think it took me probably a good five years um, after my split from my ex-husband that I didn't feel like absolute crap about myself and blame myself and all those things. I no longer do it. I Actually, I heard Adele's song this morning and, oh man, I still can't listen to it. Maybe in another 10 years, I'll be able to <laughs> listen to her. But you know what I mean? Like that's where those, those triggers and where it's so easy to go back. And that's when you can, okay. that is, yeah. And, and part of that cycle is, it comes be very dangerous because that's when you can go, oh my God, I'm still not healed. It's like, uh, yeah, you are. It takes, the first time it takes days that you feel that intense sadness, anger, whatever, then it takes 20 days to feel it. And then it turns into months and years. And every once in a while, maybe, you know, five years down the road, you're going to hear something and it's like, boom, that triggers you. But I'm hoping that most people recognize that that is very real and it's very normal. Oh, totally. And I'd love to add two things to that. One is, you know, when I speak and I tell people about what I changed my husband's name to, I ask people, I say, so what do you think I named him? And a lot of people will say, oh, asshole. And I'm like, no, because if you name him asshole, then that still triggers anger. My goal was to not trigger anger in me. My goal was to stay peaceful and calm whenever I saw his name. And so that that was why I changed his name to Poor Soul. Now, getting back to your your other story. Oh, shoot. Now I just lost my train of thought. Okay, so this was probably five, six years ago, I went through a breakup where a guy broke up with me. And so I cried for like a day and a half. And I was like, what is going on? Why am I crying? Well, I kept playing Celine Dion's song, I Am Your Angel. Oh, dear. (laughs) Yeah. And so I would cry and cry and cry. Look, I'm your angel. Like, why wouldn't you want me? And blah, blah, blah. And I thought, are you crazy woman? No wonder you're still crying because you're playing that stupid song. Like, I love this song. It's a beautiful song. Totally, totally. But that song triggered sadness. Yeah. So then I said, okay, you know what to do. And I have this one song that I listen to before I get on stage when I'm speaking. And this song, nowhere to a lie, like by the end of it, I'm up dancing. And yeah. so... I said, okay, well, clearly this is what's going on. I'm programmed to feel sad because I'm listening to this song. So I need to force myself, okay? Because like, this is the hard part. Sometimes you still want to stay in that sad mode. And I'm like, I can't be this way. This is not serving me in any way. This is, this is harming me. Yeah. And so this is keeping me in bed crying. I don't want to be bed crying. I got work to do. And so I would play this other song at Pretty Vegas by NXF and... I listened to it for like five times over. So to completely program my mind away from that, I am your angel song. And then when I listened to it, like I said, five times in a row, then I was like, okay, get out of bed. Now I'm back to my normal self. Well, one of the things I would suggest to people and from my own experience is don't, don't play the song for a long time that you walk down the aisle to, because, you know, I, it was like torturous and it was like, oh my gosh, but in, then in a way, it you know, it's like toxic tears go to that sad place and eventually it won't be so sad uh, about it. And it does work, but you're right. And that's really smart advice is to have people. And I mean, I'm sure you are more than just a writing coach in, in all of that. Um, I am sure you must have this conversation with your writers because as they're writing their story, you have to go back to remember it in order to tell it. And so that's the point when you recognize triggers and it's like, okay, I'm going to let you feel sorry for a little bit. Now you're going to stop it. Right. And yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, it isn't, you're, you're doing much more than helping people write their stories. You're, you're, you're along with them on that healing journey of writing. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the whole thing. Like you get two minutes or you get five minutes to be in your pity party and your poopy diaper and then it's time to get out. Yeah. You know, you've got to do whatever it takes to make it happen. And and I even developed like a perseverant toolkit. And it's like 10 things that I do to help myself persevere. And those are a couple of things that I was telling you about, like the songs and, you know, changing the names and like sometimes it's hard work, it right? Like I wanted to keep listening to the angel song because it keeps me sad. Yeah. I didn't want to be my empowered, you know, busy, productive I think so. it's perfectly legitimate to want to feel sorry for yourself and, and it's totally fine. 
but you only can, you know, put a timer on that sucker because you get caught exactly. into that, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Kelly, tell me the names of your other books so our listeners can go and get them. Sure. Okay. So yeah, No Risk, No Rewards, Self-Esteem Doesn't Come in a Bottle, 1,000 Tips for Teenagers, uh, Seven Ways to Embrace the Real You. Uh, I did a dating book called The Five Different Types of Men on the Dating Sites and How to Spot Them. And then Still Beautiful. I love it. So that means we could do five podcasts, each one on every one of your books. (laughs) I love it. Um, Kelly, thank you for joining me today. Again, if you wanted to check out Kelly's website, sevenstepsauthor.com is seven, the number seven steps, S-T-E-P-S, author, A-U-T-H-O-R.com. Kelly, thank you for joining me today. I... I'm not even going to trivialize what you know I think about you. I think you're awesome and you just keep going and doing everything and you have a beautiful spirit. You really do. Well, thank you. And I, you know, I I feel the same way about you. When you contacted me about your podcast, I was like, yes, awesome. You know, I get to be the Helen Rose show. She's so amazing and I love the work that you do. And, you know, like we need women like us that are willing to, you know, empower others and inspire them to go and have that great life that they want to have. Absolutely. And you can have it. Thank you for joining Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. That is a wrap. Thanks, Kelly. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.